This is Susanna Hills Podcast. We hope this message becomes a revelation in your heart and will encourage you to live a Christ-centered life. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Here's today's message. Good morning, everyone. What a privilege to be part of this family. Jill and I have been here for two years, and honestly, every day, almost every day, I give God thanks for how He orchestrated this, us living in Newcastle, a little bit in the background, and just fitting us in here, such wonderful people. If you're not part of this community, I want to encourage you. This is a, a great place to be. Yeah. And how about that outreach? Continue praying for them throughout this week. I believe they're going to touch many, many lives. I had the privilege of being there last year. And oh, there's some wonderful people there. And uh, they're so hungry for God. And where you saw the tents in that, that, that center looks like it could become our base. It's just totally amazing. To think of the hundreds and hundreds of people and thousands who would be touched from that base. It's just absolutely amazing. So we're beginning our series today on Hosea. And this morning we're looking at, we can be restless and reckless, but God's love is relentless. Hosea is the greatest love story ever told. It's an incredible love story. And it's through this prophet Hosea that we understand the intimate, intimate loving relationship that the Father has for his people. We see how Israel was God's bride, a people redeemed from slavery by the blood of the Lamb. And friends, that is why marriage is so sacred. It is tragic that we have trampled upon something that is so sacred. We need to constantly remind ourselves that marriage typifies God's relationship with us. You see, throughout the Old Testament, God calls himself the husband of Israel. And Jesus fleshes that out. And he becomes the living, fleshly presence of the bridegroom, and we are the bride of Christ. Friends, that's sacred. And look at what the world is doing with marriage. It is sacred and it's unchanging. And it's through this parable of Hosea that we see the love of God portrayed in the most powerful, powerful way. God says to Hosea, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman. Now that is very polite because that's the NIV. And I thought I better better use the NIV to be polite because the ESV says a prostitute or a whore. And I mean, whore is a harsh word, but that's what the Bible says. Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Now whether, whether Gomer was a prostitute when Hosea married her, we don't know. What we do know is she began to be adulterous. She began having affairs with other men. And tragically, as we'll see, ended up actually being 
prostitute. And it's, it's this awful experience of Hosea that depicts Israel's wayward ways with the lover of their soul. Hosea actually was going to experience firsthand, experientially, what God experiences when his children play the harlot, when his children are unfaithful to the lover of their souls. After their dramatic release from Egypt, there was such rejoicing. I mean, go and read uh, Exodus 15. Go and see the incredible rejoicing. These people have been in slavery for 400 years. And it's got harder and harder and harder. And they are oppressed. And they are a broken people. And God says to Moses, I've heard the cry of my people. And I'm coming down to deliver them. And here's a people who get miraculously released from bondage by the blood of the Lamb. A picture of the cross in Egypt. And God mightily saves them. He opens up the sea and they go through. And the, the Egyptian army is swallowed up in the sea. And Moses sings a song. I will sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider thrown into the sea. We used to sing that song. And then when he's finished his song, Miriam gets up. Aaron's sister, and she's got tambourines, and she, she leads all the ladies. Friends, can you imagine the scene with all these ladies dancing and tambourines and joyous music as they celebrate their deliverance from Pharaoh and from this incredible oppression? Sing to the Lord, she sings, for he has triumphed gloriously the horse and rider is thrown into the sea. Friends, there was a purity of heart. There was a purity of devotion. Here, here was a people who were so thrilled to be out from under Pharaoh's hand and from this incredible, incredible oppression. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 10 to 12 has been, has been my text of my salvation. And this was the text of their salvation. God found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions, the Lord alone guided him. And there was no foreign God with him. That's the honeymoon, friends. That's that moment when you are rejoicing in your salvation. I was in a howling wasteland, lost and without purpose, and many of you were in the same wasteland. And if by any chance there's someone here today, you're in that wasteland, where you're unsure of your purpose, you're unsure of your destiny, I'm trusting that today. You'll get, a, you'll get an, an idea how much God loves you and how he's longing to bring you through the Red Sea, through the blood of the Lamb, into his abundant life. But you know, it wasn't very long and Israel was getting sidetracked. They became a restless people. 
that endured slavery for 400 years, so wonderfully, wonderfully saved. But you know what Jeremiah says? Jeremiah says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can cure him? Isn't that true? The heart is desperately wicked. Think of your heart. I think of my heart. How easy it is to start conniving and making plans and getting drawn off course. Heart is desperately wicked. And it wasn't long and Israel was beginning to hanker after Egypt. They had this incredible deliverance. But then they started complaining. They started moaning. They said, it would be better to go back to Egypt. At least there we'll have the leeks and all those wonderful, wonderful vegetables. Here's the most amazing thing, friends. God had said, I'm going to lead you into a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to take you, my people, into a place of abundance. What an incredible promise. What an incredible thing to look forward to. But tragically, before they even got to the promised land, they were committing adultery. You know, there's an old hymn, a Methodist hymn we used to sing, and boy, is it so true. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We are prone. Our flesh is prone to wonder, to have gazing eyes, and to get dazzled by the sights, smells, and sounds of the world. I wanted to ask the question, looking at marriage, what, what causes people to get restless in their marriage? I've been in the ministry for 52 years, so I've seen a lot of marriages. <laughs> and I've counseled a lot of people. And so many people have started off so wonderfully. They're absolutely in love with each other. They're crazy about each other. And a couple of years down the road, there's restlessness. And you wonder, what causes that? Because many, many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. What causes it? You see, we forget that the seducer, the enemy, is an opportunity presenter at every level in life, at every level. He's a master of planning, a master of creating opportunities. Just as God gives us divine appointments, if we are not careful, we will listen to the seducer's voice and he also has appointments. And his seduction is powerful. And so one of the things he says to us is, it's better on the other side. Yes? It's better on the other side. And he starts seeing how, how nice this chick is at work and how kind she is. And you know, she's always so nicely made up and she's so kind. Pass up. A diabolical appointment is in the making. It's about a divided heart. <laughs> Friends, if you've been married a little while, we've been married 48 years, and a lot of people say, Yo, that's fantastic. How did you manage it? I'll tell you. 
one day at a time. Seriously, you asked Jill, I had such a panic attack when we got engaged. I went back to Rhodes University in Grahamstown. I seriously had a panic attack. Not quivering and shaking and frothing at the mouth, but just an internal panic attack when I said to myself, how can I love one woman for the rest of my life? When you're 22, it seems forever. And you think, how on earth can I possibly do this? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, uh, Murad, I had like such a wake-up call, and I was petrified. <laughs> and yes, like any couple, we had our times of intense fellowship. <laughs> you know, some very loud discussions. But friends, I thank God that for both of us, we, we were so committed to making this thing work that we just had to get through the storms. Because this thing was much bigger than our little pet peeves. And I'll tell you another thing, and it's, I'm almost ashamed to say it, but let me tell you, I knew that if I messed around, I'd be chucked out the ministry. Now, I know that's like a, the small print. <laughs> but it's like this thing became so important. We had to win every battle. Whether it was differences of opinion, whether it was getting too involved in work, whether it was a clashing of values, we had to keep finding each other, keep finding each other. Whether it was illness, and we've seen a lot of that, Broken churches, church splits, been through all of that. But God and commitment and honest, honest commitment to work things out, to keep finding the center as we sang this morning, to keep finding the center, which is the sacred relationship that God has entrusted us with that his blessing rests upon this. And if we take the trouble to work at it, it will blossom and it will flourish. And it will be a testimony to the world. Yeah. You see, dissatisfaction is a serious problem. Serious? Dissatisfaction. Listen, we are bombarded with wonderful pictures in our adverts, in our movies, in our TV series, on the posters, everywhere we go. Facebook. Hey, I laugh at Facebook. I see these wonderful chicks. I know them in person. But I'm thinking, sure, who's this chick? And then I realize, well, someone's really done this makeup job. <laughs> because I can hardly recognize her. And I say, oh, yes. That, that's that's, that's uh, Meryl. Beryl. <laughs> and when there's dissatisfaction, the whole world just starts looking more beautiful. Hmm? A dissatisfied heart. Friends, you married folks, you've got to fight for satisfaction at every level. You won't get it all right, but it's worth fighting for. I want to ask you, do you think Judas joined Jesus saying, I'm going to betray this guy the first chance I get? Do you believe that? 
I don't believe that. I believe there was a season when Judas's heart was for Jesus. But what happened? His focus directed to an earthly kingdom and an earthly king and a king who could undo the Roman political power. There was a hole in his heart. Tiny hole. He started off well, and then dissatisfaction. This is not working out the way I thought it would. I thought there was going to be a lack of Barney, and Jesus is just going to come in and, and sort this whole thing out. And there's a hole in his heart. Dissatisfaction. And when there's a hole in your heart, when it's not dealt with, it gets bigger. And the gap gets bigger. That's what led Judas to giving Jesus up. Friends, restlessness in a marriage is a very dangerous thing. You've got to deal with it. You've got to look at it. You've got to find out why. Why am I restless? Why have I got a divided heart? And that takes work. It takes courage. It takes prayer. It takes counsel. Can you, can you begin to see that what I'm talking about is exactly what Hosea was going to go through, but at an incredibly challenging depth. You see, seduction leads to deception. And that is one of our problems. We are prone towards deception. We are easily seduced in our mind and in our hearts and in the flesh. Deception makes things look better than what they really are. It's exactly what happened in Eden. Satan said to Eve, Oh, really? Did God really say? He said, I'll tell you something. You're going to be like God. So stop worrying about what he said. You're going to be like God. Deception, and we know the result of that. The enemy can appear in the light of an angel. That's deception. And deception loves a divided heart. It feeds on a divided heart. And that's for us in the natural, in our marriages, but it's also for us in our walk of faith. If there's a divided heart, there's a gap. And deception comes and we are easily steered off course. And it's never a great, big, terrible thing. No, it's something that sounds so good, looks so good, feels so good. But it doesn't measure up with the word of God. It cannot stand next to Jesus Christ. It cannot keep company in the Holy Spirit. Secondly, restlessness leads to recklessness. That's the result. In Hosea chapter 9 verse 10 it says, listen to these tender words, friends. When I found Israel, it was like finding grapes in the desert. I love grapes. I'm so grateful for fruit. <laughs> you missed that anyway. <laughs> for someone in desert, can you imagine what a beautiful, juicy bunch of grapes is like? This is what God's saying. He says, when I found Israel, it was like finding grapes in the desert. When I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing the early fruit on the fig tree. Apparently, the first, the first flush of figs was always the, the best and the sweetest. 
He's talking to his people. It was like seeing early fruit on the fig tree. But when they came to Baal Peor, they consecrated themselves to that shameful idol and became as vile as the thing they loved. Friends, that's before they got into the promised land. They fell in love with Baal before they got into the promised land. They got seduced before they even got to their goal. And I read that wonderful scripture, scripture to you. In a desert land he found him. In the howling waste he shielded him and he cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young. That spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. The Lord alone led them when there was no foreign God. You've got this incredible picture of God by the Holy Spirit. Like a wonderful big bird. And you know how an eagle, when, when the baby falls out the nest, the eagle will go and will catch it and will bear it up. God says, that's, that's what I've been doing for Israel. So Israel wasn't just a bit lax in their faith. They got so seduced that they joined themselves to other gods and they'd become like this prostitute that Hosea ends up with as a wife. And here's the point God wants to make. His people whom he betrothed have not only committed adultery, but they've, gone, they've slipped so far that they're actually selling themselves to idolatry. Restlessness. Restless behavior unchecked has disastrous results. Compromise. Compromise is a disease that'll take you down the slippery slope to fall and shipwreck your faith. The Bible says, catch the little foxes that are destroying the vineyard. It's not the big wolves. Don't worry about the big wolves and the lion that's roaring. Yes, we've got to be sober-minded. But so often it's the little foxes. Because all the little fox has to do is nibble at the base of the vine, nibble the bark off, and what happens? The whole vine dies. And friends, you and I have got to be careful of the little things. You know, a little compromise here, a little compromise there. Friends, it's a slippery slope to unfaithfulness. Both in the natural and in the spiritual. Every affair starts with a little compromise. Am I right? And every one of us that is backslidden understands that it wasn't a big thing. It was a whole lot of little things. And slowly, 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 we're off course. Slowly, 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 we're not living in a surrendered life, in a life of obedience to the king. It's the slippery slope to sin. Thirdly, we are restless and reckless, but God's love is relentless. I know many of you are Afrikaans and many of you are Tawana, so let me tell you what relentless means. It's a wonderful word. Relentless means pursuing something or someone with passion. Which says, I am not going to give up. How many guys are in this room? You pursued your chick. Even when she wasn't crazy about you. Even when you thought there was no hope. 
You were relentless. Yes. <laughs> Friends, you're going to see in a minute how relentless God is in His passion for His people. Not just to save them, but to keep them and to cherish them and to love on them. Relentless means tirelessly pursuing. Think, Yo, this guy's got a thick skin. He doesn't give up. Eh? No ways, boy. I've seen the prize and I'm going for it. But are we like that? Relentless means being prepared to pay any price to win the bride or the prize. Listen to these tender words in Hosea chapter 11. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? Listen, hear the heart of a lover. Father, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? Those are two places that were destroyed just like Sodom and Gomorrah. God says, I don't want to do that because you are my bride. You are my treasured possession. I don't want to get rid of you. We, we're in a covenant relationship. We are married. And I want this marriage saved. And I want it to flourish. He says, my heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. Friends, that's relentless love. By the way, not reckless love, because I know there's some songs that talk about the reckless love. That's rubbish. Sorry. There's nothing reckless about God's love. It was absolutely purposed and planned to the finest detail. It's not reckless. Reckless means you're throwing caution to the wind and I'll just have a go at it. No, friends. The love of God is relentless. Pursuing with passion to win the bride back. Friends, maybe some of you are not, not close to God at the moment. I, I want to encourage you. God's closer to you than you think. You think, wow, how do I get back to God? Or should I even try because I've messed up so badly? Friends, God is closer than you think. He's a breath away. <laughs> we had a friend in the church in Johannesburg. His wife had an affair with a guy in the church. And obviously was devastated. Elders came in, they counseled, they encouraged. They got back together and they started again. For anybody who's been through that, that's a tough one. Oh, and then later on. Same guy, same affair. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know if I could have taken my wife back after the second time. But he did. He loved her. He cherished her. He took her back. And friends, I'm so sad to say, there was a third and a fourth time. And you know what? He never kicked her out. I am totally amazed because I promise you, I don't think I could do that. That's a picture of Israel. God continually taking them back. 
continually wooing them. Continually saying to them, there is a place with me. You belong to me. We're in a covenant relationship. We are married. There's this amazing scene in Hosea in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Listen to the instruction he gets from the Lord. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Sure, how many times has this poor guy done it? But go and show your love again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. That's her label. That's who she is. That's her identity. She's a loose woman. Listen, love her as the Lord loves the, the, the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I, I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer of lethic of barley. Friends, I want you to picture this. Imagine going to the marketplace. Imagine seeing your wife. There's a whole lot of men around, a whole lot of people. The marketplace is full. Because that's where manservants and, and maidservants are sold to, to masters. And Goma standing naked in the marketplace. Because who's going to buy something they can't see? <laughs> they know what they've come to buy. They want to see the goods. Sorry to put it so blatantly, but that's the fact. Imagine the scene. And amongst all the din and the noise and the shouting and the bidding, Goma hears a familiar voice. She hears Hosea calling her name. She sees him put his hand up and says, I'll buy her. Friends, <laughs> this is an amazing story. And guess what? He hasn't even got the full price for a maidservant. And so he says, I'll give you all the silver I've got and I'll give you some wheat. And barley as well, to make up the difference. Here's, here's the thing. He paid everything he had to win his bride back. Friends, there's the gospel right there. God gave everything in giving Jesus. Jesus too was in the marketplace. Jesus too was hanging on a cross naked, despicable. But he was prepared to go to that length to save us. You may be far from God, but God's not far from you. He's a breath away. He is longing for one little sentence. Father, I'm sorry. That's all. Father, I'm sorry. But just like the prodigal son returns to his father and says, Father, I'm sorry. Here's a prodigal, a prodigal wife. And yes, she's going to go through a lot of trouble. Israel is still going to go through judgment. They're still going to be taken away from their homeland. They're still going to live for 70 years in another place of slavery. But they're going to live there as God's redeemed bride. And he will work with her. He will cleanse her. He will wash her. He will restore her. And they'll rebuild the temple again. 
and they'll go on in this amazing relationship. Friends, here's a picture of the most incredible hope, the most incredible picture of God's redeeming love. It's against this awful background of prostitution. One can only begin to appreciate the depth of the love of God as he goes after an adulterous people. And not a one-off. Again and again and again, they went after Baal. They went after Ashtoreth. They went after all these foreign gods, seduced all the time. Hosea chapter 2 says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor. Achor is the place of trouble. And make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth. For great will be the day of Jezreel. God is a God of restoration. And the only thing that is required for restoration is repentance. It's turning, changing our minds, refocusing, dealing with a divided heart, and say, Father, I'm sorry. I lost focus. I wanted me back at the center. And so in closing, I want to say this. There are two things that we need understanding of. Two things. The one is our sin and our idolatry, because we are all in idolatry at one level of another, where we love something more than Jesus. That's idolatry. Very simple. We need a revelation that our sin and idolatry deeply, deeply offends the lover of our soul. And then secondly, we need to grasp the immensity of the love of God. A love that sent Jesus to die this painful death on the cross. Friends, we may become restless. Maybe some of you are restless right now. Maybe some have been reckless. But God is relentlessly pursuing us. Friends, our Father, the lover of our souls, is wanting an undivided heart. He's wanting and longing for intimacy in our relationship with him. St. Augustine, the great African bishop, said this, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. Perhaps you've wandered off. Perhaps you've been flirting with some things that you shouldn't be flirting with in terms of your walk of faith. I'm going to pray in a moment, and I want to simply ask the Holy Spirit to come and for each one of us to engage with God. Let's see if we've wandered off. Maybe if you're in a faraway place, as I said, you may be far off, but God is not. He's a breath away. Maybe it's a time for repentance. Maybe it's a time for adjusting something that's not right in our life. Saying, Lord, I want to come back to the center. We've sung that this morning. Jesus is the center. Well, is he the center? And it's not, it's not about condemnation, friends, because there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. But it's about conviction. Am I convicted that I'm flirting with some stuff? Am I convicted that I'm wandering off a bit? Am I, am I convicted that my heart's a bit divided? I say one thing, but I do another one. 
I say I'm sold out for Jesus, but I don't act like it. So, Father, we come to you this morning with this incredible story of Hosea. Lord, that you would show us in such a vulnerable way how you would speak of your precious chosen people as a harlot, as a people given over to idolatry. But, Father, how you relentlessly pursue. Father, I thank you that in my own life I remember times when I drifted off and I'm so involved in doing my own thing and so involved with my own ego that I drifted off and Jesus wasn't the center. And I thank you that you were so close and all I had to do was say, Lord, I'm sorry. I want to get back to the heart. I want to get back to the life. I want to know what it is to abide, to live, to make my home in the vine because Jesus, you are the vine and I'm a branch. So if you're feeling disconnected this morning, friends, I want to encourage you to spend a bit of time with God right now. And just, just confess, just repent. Come back to the heart. If there's dividedness in the heart, ask God for some revelation. Why is my heart divided, Lord? I, I, I want to. I want to serve you. It's like Paul in Romans 7 where he says, the good I want to do, I can't do. I encourage you to invite Jesus in. And ask him, Lord, I'm struggling with this issue. With this addiction or with this, this, this character trait that's not glorifying you. I invite you in and ask you to help me. Help me deal with this, Lord, in our fellowship between you and me. That this thing can get out of the way because it's an obstacle to, to our intimacy. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd come this morning as we just spend a few minutes with you as you put your spotlight in our hearts, in our minds, thank you that you don't come with condemnation. You come with love and acceptance, desiring only for our restoration. So I say, come Holy Spirit this morning. Come and restore our brokenness, Lord. Where we're wandering off, please help us to get course correction and come back to the center. We want to come back to the heart of worship. Where you, Jesus, are everything. Forgive us of any idolatry, Lord. Give us courage to face any idolatry and deal with it. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Don't forget to check out our website or visit City on a Hill International on Instagram or Facebook for our updates, celebration times, or ways you can get involved. We are also streaming our message on Facebook Live, so make sure you join us or share the post. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. We'll see you soon.